Delicious, meat nutritious, and the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value and making wonderful pistachios one of the highest protein nuts out there. But perhaps more than that, I love all of the flavors they have. Their sea salt and vinegar ones are my favorite when I'm craving that flavor, but still want to keep it healthy. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. Wonderful pistachios come in a variety of flavors like chili roasted, honey roasted, smoky barbecue, and jalapeno lime, to name a few. Perfect for enjoying with family or friends and taking them with you on the go. Whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snacking game today. So fill up with a healthy snack when hunger strikes. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. That's wonderfulpistachios.com. This is Optimal Living Daily, episode 351, What to Do About the World's Suffering, part one, by David Kane of raptitude.com, and I'm Justin Mollick. Happy Thanksgiving weekend and day after Black Friday, if you're listening in real time, and welcome to Optimal Living Daily, where I read to you every single day from some of the best personal development bloggers I can find, just like an audiobook. And I know that's crazy around the holidays, so I'm gonna make this super short for you. Let's get right to the post and start optimizing your life. What to Do About the World's Suffering, Part 1, by David Kane of raptitude.com. In all the emails I receive from readers, perhaps the most common theme is a question in this vein. How can a person be at peace with the world when there is so much suffering going on? I don't think I need to start rattling off specifics here. Virtually every story in every newspaper is a tiny, nominal record of horrendous suffering for someone somewhere. Crimes, deaths, famines, wars, fires, floods. How do we live with so much suffering going on? How can I do so much as enjoy a bagel with a clear conscience while so many people are enduring unspeakable suffering? I never really had a satisfying answer for that question most of my life. And so my only strategy was distraction. Get into something more immediate, more consuming, and those thoughts go away. But it never really sat right with me until I began to question the usefulness of those thoughts. I think the key lies in understanding the difference between the two oft misunderstood responses to suffering. Sympathy and empathy are often used interchangeably, and though they are definitely not the same thing, I can't really say my definitions are the right ones. But I think if you read on, you'll understand why it's so important to make a distinction. Both are related to feeling the suffering of others. The more common reaction is sympathy, which is essentially feeling bad because someone else feels bad. It doesn't require an understanding of the nature of the other person's suffering, only a mental acknowledgement that they are suffering. When you react to the suffering of another with sympathy, it means you are suffering over their suffering. However, as we suffer, we become less conscious. In a state of suffering, wisdom disappears, reactivity takes over, and you begin to feel helpless. Empathy is more subtle. It is not a reaction, but rather a capacity to be aware of the suffering of another. In sympathy, we can be aware that another person is suffering, though we remain preoccupied with emotions and thoughts about the suffering, making it impossible to stay keenly aware of it. To cultivate empathy requires that you remain receptive and stable, able to listen without judgment, to stay aware without getting indignant. Above all, it requires that you do not make their suffering yours. Parallel suffering. Sympathetic reactions to suffering are actually creating more of it. Becoming furious towards the supposed perpetrator of the suffering, for example, undermines the possibility of empathy with the sufferer. 
As soon as you notice you're slipping into revenge fantasies or wishes for better days, you're creating your own suffering and are liable to cause more suffering to those around you. The wiser response to the suffering of others is to cultivate a keen awareness of their suffering in the moment. Turn towards it, not away. This is the opposite of the initial impulse for most of us, which is usually anger or grief. Accepting the reality of somebody else's suffering can be almost unbearable, particularly if the sufferer is someone close to you or the sufferer is defenseless, such as in the cases of children, the poor, or mistreated animals. In particular, parents have a powerful urge to try to bear the suffering of their children, as if by suffering in parallel, they could spare their child the burden. It often even feels just plain wrong not to suffer when someone else is suffering. And sometimes we affect or even create suffering in ourselves as a response to feeling guilt about someone else's plight. I remember more than one instance as a kid when I'd accidentally hurt somebody in a schoolyard soccer collision. I always felt the impulse to get up limping too, even if I was fine. I guess it always seemed more attractive to be in a situation where we were both victims. To just get up unhurt and have to watch some kid crying because of me was so awful, I'd find myself acting out some plight of my own just so I didn't feel so callous. Even in situations where we aren't the cause, it's easier to bear the suffering of someone else when we suffer too. That way we feel we can be responsible for it, we can do something about it, but we've lost track of their suffering because we're really attending to our own. To simply be present and aware of the suffering of another person without deflecting it with your own angst is a remarkably scary proposition. Even witnessing minor suffering, like watching someone crash and burn in an oral presentation, can easily make our bodies and faces cringe. It can be awful. We have a strong impulse to suffer over the suffering of others. And like so many other human impulses, it can make train wrecks out of our behavior and states of mind if we are not aware of it. We do it out of self-defense. By suffering sympathetically, by distracting ourselves with blame for the apparent perpetrators, by entertaining the notion of vowing to cure cancer, end animal cruelty, get drugs off the streets, achieve world peace, feed the starving children, we can momentarily defend ourselves from facing a universal truth about reality, that living beings do suffer and we can't always fix it. I'm not saying that there's nothing we can do about disease or poverty, but the emotional urges we feel in the presence of suffering serve only to distract us from accepting the fact that it is happening right now. Smarter, more helpful action can be taken when you're not running from the reality of suffering. As long as you're hot with rage or weak with despair, you're closed to the suffering of others. Suffering alongside another does no good, though it is usually our primary impulse. When you collapse into a reactive state where you cannot get past your own suffering, you cannot help the sufferer. Empathy, which really is no more than an aware, unconditional acceptance of the suffering of a living being, takes practice. The sympathetic impulse and all of its offshoot emotions, rage, denial, and despair, is so strong, you must stay aware of it or risk losing awareness of the suffering itself. You just listened to part one of the post titled What to Do About the World's Suffering by David Kane of raptitude.com. And the post is about twice as long as what I normally read, so I'll finish the rest tomorrow. And before I go on my merry way, I have not had a sponsor in a while, and that means I'm funding this on my own. That includes the cost of hosting over 350 MP3s, not including all the ones from Optimal Health Daily and Optimal Finance Daily 2, plus the cost of the website, the mailing list, and more. So if you'd like to help out, you can contribute by visiting oldpodcast.com support. If you can't contribute financially, that page also has some other ideas that go a really long way to help keep the show alive. Again, just visit oldpodcast.com support, or you can go straight to oldpodcast.com and look for the how to help page. 
And thank you very much for listening to that quick public service announcement. And that's it for today. I hope you're having a great weekend and I will catch you in tomorrow's show where your optimal life awaits. Hey, this is Dan from the Optimal Finance Daily Podcast, which is a lot like this show, except more focused on personal finance. Justin handpicks the best posts he can find from blogs and authors like Ramit Sethi, Mr. Money Mustache, and more, and I read them to you five days a week. So if you enjoy this podcast, come on over and subscribe to Optimal Finance Daily too. And together, we'll optimize your financial life. You've been listening to Optimal Living Daily. Be sure to hit the subscribe button to stay up to date on each new episode and head to oldpodcast.com. That's oldpodcast.com for a free gift as well as more actionable tips and resources to help you maximize your potential. Thanks for joining us. And remember, your optimal life awaits.